Good morning, good morning, everybody. And I think you're going to be really excited to uh, hear what we're talking about now. Gone are the discussions about the brain. I don't know about you, but my brain was about to explode with all the discussions of the different pathways and what the amygdala was and the neocortex. And for sure, we will revisit those as we go through the emotional intelligence uh, where we can actually get an explanation of what happens. But we don't need to go into any more detail. Mar Marie-Pierre and I felt like we were always in a biology exam and would we actually remember all the names and get them in the right order. So we decided to go straight on to chapter three. And uh, chapter three has a very interesting title. Well, actually, it's part two. And part two is the nature of emotional intelligence. So already I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting. And number uh, chapter three is called When Smart is Dumb. And um, I, I think as I read you the story that opens this, uh, this chapter, and then we talk about it a little bit more, you're going to recognize people you know who maybe fit this category, even if they're not actually uh, as, as extreme as young Jason H. So let's start with the story. Exactly why... David Pologruto, a high school physics teacher, was stabbed with a kitchen knife by one of his star students is still debatable, but the facts as widely reported are these. Jason H., a sophomore and straight-A grade student at a Coral Springs, Florida high school, was fixated on getting into medical school, not just any medical school, he dreamt of Harvard. But Paula Gruto, his physics teacher, had given Jason an 80 on a quiz. Believing the grade, a mere B, put his dream in jeopardy, Jason took a butcher knife to school and in a confrontation with Paula Gruto in the physics lab, stabbed his teacher in the collarbone before being subdued in a struggle. A judge found Jason innocent, temporarily insane during the incident. A panel of four psychologists and psychiatrists swore he was psychotic during the fight. Jason claimed he had been planning to commit suicide because of the test score and had gone to Pologruto to tell him he was killing himself because of the bad grade. Pologruto told a different story. I think he tried to completely do me in with the knife because he was infuriated over the grade. After transferring to a private school, Jason graduated two years later at the top of his class. A perfect grade in regular classes would have given him a straight A 4.0 average. But Jason had taken enough advanced courses to raise his grade point average to 4.614, way beyond the A+. Even as Jason graduated with highest honours, his old physics teacher, David Pologruto, complained that Jason had never apologised 
or even taken responsibility for the attack. So the question is, how could somebody who clearly was so smart be so dumb? How could somebody think that um, putting a knife into his physics teacher was actually going to solve the problem of the grade? Um, you know, it, it, it was an irrational action motivated by anger. And, you know, what uh, people have realized is that the, um, the thing about grades and uh, achieving high is not necessarily the thing that's going to determine whether anybody has success or not. Sure, having an high IQ is going to put you in a higher percentage likelihood of being successful. But would you be surprised to know that out of the people that are successful, the uh, contribution to that success for your high IQ is only 20%. So imagine if you only, uh, you know, you abuse your 20%. The, the other thing about it, of course, is often, not always, but often people with high IQs come from a socioeconomic background, which is also advantageous to them. But there are other circumstances that have to come into play here. And those other, in, uh, other circumstances are things like, do you have an ability to motivate yourself when things are not going well, like when you're faced with frustrations? And when I read this, I, I smiled to myself because all of us in an MLM come across moments where we're faced with frustrations. Do we give up? Do we take our bat and ball and go home? Or do we say, hang on a moment, I can do something about this. I can face my frustrations. And I even gave myself that talk this weekend because there are always things that you say, what is it that I can do to change the outcome that is currently happening? So how you deal with your frustrations is going to be a clear indicator of whether you're going to be successful in life. Um, this other one made me laugh, to control impulse and delay gratification. Okay, so I love TV, right? I love watching um, uh, Netflix and I have certain uh, serials that I like to watch. But I'm really good at saying, okay, let me do this and then my reward, I can do this. And so I have got into a habit of making sure that I use my morning time to get a lot of work done. And then when I take my break at lunch, I don't rush my lunch. I take a good hour and I watch one of my little serials in there. So are you able to delay your gratification or do you take your gratification first and say, oh, well, I'll get to that later. Well, let me tell you, you'll never get to it later. So you're actually sabotaging yourself. Um, another thing is to regu regulate one's moods and keep distress from swamping the ability to think. So do you let yourself get into a funk? Do you let yourself uh, go down the downward spiral? All of these things, all of these um, actions allow you to progress 
further than other people because you have control of your emotions and actions and it has nothing to do with how intelligent you are. It only has to do with how good you are at managing those things that come under the category of emotional intelligence. And, you know, um, the, the, the uh, chapter goes on to discuss um, how there have been several studies done. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever uh, um, come across people where, I'm just trying to find my notes. Have you ever come across people where you say, wow, that person's so smart, but they never seem to be working. Like, did you come across people at school where you know that that person is the smartest person in your class, but they ha at, at uh, when you have a study time, they're not studying, they're playing games on their iPhone or they're um, just chatting with a group of friends. And you say, how's that possible? And I actually remember having a conversation with my father once about how unfair it was that I had to like work really hard to achieve things and I'm very happy with what I achieved but that so-and-so was not able to do what they they just seem to play all the time they, I used to say to my dad they must be so smart I don't know how they do it and my dad said to me don't worry, Melanie, life will catch up with them because you can only, your school smarts are only going to take you so far. And what do you know, this morning uh, and yesterday, we were reading about studies. And you might be surprised to know that after 10 years of graduating from school, 7% of uh, unemployed people have an IQ of less, no, 7% of people with IQ less than 80 are unemployed. But guess what? 7% of people with an IQ greater than 100 are unemployed. So that would say to me, okay, just because you're smart doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to do better. And um, there have been several studies where um, people are following uh, smart people. So there was one study where they, um, in, I'm just trying to remember where it was, in Illinois, in 1981, the class of 1981 in Illinois, they decided to um, follow all the valedictorians in a certain school district. And of course, the valedictorians are those smart kids, are the ones that basically achieve well academically. I think maybe now valedictorians in schools, they do give some credence to other things. But basically, at that time, valedictorians were absolutely the ones with the highest scores in their ac academic achievements. And um, interesting, 1981 is the year that I graduated in, at Nottingham University with uh, my pharmacy degree. But anyway, that's a, like a little aside. But so they followed these valedictorians. And what they realized was that after 10 years um, the, the, of the valedictorians, only one in four of them was actually at a an equal level 
in their jobs, in their lives, to the rest of the graduates of that year of 1981. So only one in four of them were able to use their academic abilities along with emotional intelligence to be able to put them ahead of everybody else in life. So, you know, if your, if your kid is smart, that's great, but you need to be saying, what else do they have? Like, what else am I exposing them to? So a, a academic intelligence offers no preparation for turmoil or opportunity for life's up or downs. So your emotional life, you need to have your own set of competencies to be able to read and understand other people. And I was thinking about myself and Alan, my husband. Um, and, you know, we're obviously both of us are smart. We have PhDs, but both of us have done really well in life. And Alan, you know, rose to be the head of a pharmaceutical company. And I believe that the reason that we were able to and continue to be able to achieve is because both of us had ups and downs in our lives. Both of us had turmoil that, um, you know, confronted us from an early age. My own personal uh, turmoil was my um, uh, relationship or non-relationship with my mother who continued to do her best to put me down and uh, in that turmoil I guess I learned to survive a bit and then my parents got divorced when I was 11 and uh, I had to uh, step up and take on some of the other um, abilities in life, like looking after my little brother, like communicating with the school when he was sick and those sort of things, because my father worked in London and was gone from 7.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night. So those things forced me to learn emotional intelligence. Uh, and in the same way, Alan, my husband, he was brought up in a very... Um, underprivileged part of the UK. And we were actually talking about it this weekend because Alan's uh, parents, they had what in England is called um, a council house, which I think here is called housing aid or housing commission. But it was a, a house that was given to them by the government because they didn't have enough money to be able to pay for a house that wasn't subsidized. And Alan told me that he thanks uh, God, every day that um, his parents were given a house that was right on the edge of this council estate, right next to some fields. And, you know, it was like, if you like, protected from the violence and everything that went on, because there were parts of the estate that Alan grew up on that he never, ever would have walked down those streets. So imagine what it was like for him at school being a smart kid. Um, and in his high school years, when he got to the equivalent of our grade 11, um, there were no teachers for physics and chemistry because they assumed that no kids in those areas would need one. So Alan and one of his classmates had to teach themselves 
enough physics and chemistry to be able to then go on to um, university. You can't do that if you don't have in place, you know, reward yourself last, right? Do the work first. Um, it would have been so easy for them. So sometimes um, we, we joke that our C-grade uh, fellows end up uh, commanding our A-grade students. So the people who didn't do so well at school, you look at them and say, I can't believe how well they're doing in life. And that is because maybe they have a big dose of emotional intelligence that uh, you know about. They are, they are able to control and be effective in their lives. So to explain more about that, I'm gonna pass over to my uh, friend, Marie-Pierre, who is gonna talk in some more detail about those things. Over to you, Marie-Pierre. Thank you, Melanie. And just before I start, I want to make sure that everyone shared the podcast this morning. So if you are on Podbean, of course, you want to share to um, have some hearts at the end of the month to be in the draw for the conditioning program. And on Facebook, you want to be uh, to share always with a comment so people will know why they should listen to the podcast. Because yes, it's with your help that every morning when you share, we can grow our community that always level up and to build our vision of building a thousand millionaire. So yes, with all the things that Melanie said about the what we learn in school. So the abilities that uh, we learn in school traditionally are the three R's, so reading, writing, and arithmetic. But we know that human abilities go far beyond those three R's. So for example, I found 10 human abilities that we don't necessarily uh, learn in school. So number one, collecting, organizing <laughs> and summarizing. So it's the ability to summarize the data. Number two, it's sensing, querying and conversing. So this ability to sense and to search uh, data and the ability to communicate and converse with others. Number three, to recognize, identify and classify. So the ability that yes, to understand and visualize data and uh, natural language and everything. Number four, it's trending, forecasting, and predicting. That is the ability to identify trends from past data and forecast the future from the past data and predict and project across a multiple scenario. Number five, it's diagnosing, deciding, and recommending. So it's the ability to diagnose root causes and make decisions supported by reasoning and making recommendations based on the historical pattern. Number six, reasoning. So the ability to follow a logical process to arrive at the conclusion based on the deduction, induction, and or abduction. Number seven, learning. So the ability to improve performance over time or with additional data or environmental input. Number eight, optimizing. So the ability to find the best solution given a, a solution space and a number of constraints. Number nine is simulating, imagining, and adapting. So the ability to simulate scenario and hypothesize new one in our head. 
And number 10, discovering, creating, and inventing. So the ability to discover new hypotheses or fact generate or create new artifacts such has answer to question and art and everything like that. So just to give you an idea, those are 10 abilities that we don't necessarily uh, use at school, but yes, that uh, we have in our human repertoire of abilities. So that goes with uh, our type of intelligence. So when we see that, yes, there's the famous IQ that we learn and that's how we are great to uh, enter in school and everything, but there's more type of intelligence that um, we learn about in this book. So they talk about, uh, sometimes they will talk about the seven type and then uh, you can go to far beyond 20 types of intelligence, but the most uh, research that they do uh, is about the eight type of intelligence. So the eight type of intelligence is visual special, it's linguistic verbal, interpersonal, intrapersonal, naturalistic, bodily kinesthetic, musical, and logical mathematical. So that's the eight type of intelligence. So I will go a little bit further in each of those type of intelligence just to learn about those type of intelligence. And I really love to learn about that. So number one, visual special intelligence. So the people who are strong in visual special intelligence are good at visualizing things. These individuals are often good with direction as well as map, chart, video, and picture. Their strength is the visual and special judgment. So some characteristics about those people, um, they read and write for enjoyment. They are good at putting puzzles together. They interpret picture, graph, and chart well. They enjoy drawing, painting, and the visual art. And they recognize pattern easily. So you can see those people that are is strong in visual special intelligence uh, as good career for uh, architect, architect <laughs> artist, and engineer. Number two is the linguistic verbal intelligence. So the people who are strong in linguistic verbal intelligence are able to use words well, both when writing and speaking. These individuals are typically very good at writing stories, memorizing information, and reading. So their strength, word, language, and writing. Some characteristic uh, of people with the linguistic verbal intelligence is they remember written or spoken information. They enjoy reading and writing. They debate or give uh, persuasive speeches. They are able to explain things well and they use humor when telling story. So we can see those people going for writer, journalist, lawyer, and teacher. Number three, the logical mathematical intelligence. Now these people who are strong, they are good at reasoning, recognizing pattern, and logically analyzing problems. So these individuals tend to think conceptually about numbers, relationship, and pattern. So their strength, analyzing problem and mathematical operation. So their characteristic, you can see they have excellent problem solving skills. They enjoy thinking about abstract idea. They like conducting scientific experiment and they can solve complex computation. So you can see those people going for 
scientist, mathematician, computer programmer, engineering, engineer, and accountant. Of course. <laughs> Number four is the bodily kinesthetic intelligence. So those people are said to be good at body movement, performing action, and physical control. So people with who are strong in this area tend to have excellent hand-eye coordination and dexterity. So the, their strength, physical movement, and motor control. So their characteristic, they are skilled at dancing and sport. They enjoy creating things with his or her hand. They have excellent physical coordination. And they remember by doing rather than hearing or seeing. So you can see those people going for a dancer, a builder, a sculptor, or an actor. Number five is the musical intelligence. So those people who have strong musical intelligence are good at thinking in patterns, rhythm, and sounds. They have a strong appreciation for music and are good, uh, often good at musical composition and performance. So their characteristic, they enjoy singing and playing musical instruments. They, uh, they recognize musical pattern and tone easily. They remember song and melody. They have a rich understanding of musical structure, rhythm and notes. So you can see those people going for musician, of course, composer, singer, music teacher, or conductor. And number six, the interpersonal intelligence. So those who have strong interpersonal intelligence are good at understanding and interacting with other people. So that's one with emotional intelligence. So these uh, individuals are skilled at assessing the emotion, motivation, and uh, desire and intention of those around them. So their strength is really understanding and relating to other people. Their characteristic, they can communicate very well uh, verbally. They are skilled at nonverbal communication. They see situation from different perspectives. They create a positive relationship with others and they resolve conflict in group setting. So those people, you can see their career choices as psychologist, philosopher, counselor, salesperson, and politician. So of course, for us in MLM, we are salesperson. So that's uh, one way to um, develop our interpersonal intelligence that goes into the emotional intelligence. So that's one way to make sure that, yes, because um, we learned that to develop emotional intelligence, for most of us, uh, it will be around the age of 40. So if you don't want to wait at the age of 40 to develop it, so go and be in an MLM to make sure that, yes, when you go for a salesperson, you will develop the interpersonal intelligence. And number seven is the intrapersonal intelligence. So um, the people will be strong in intrapersonal intelligence, will be good at being aware of their own emotional state, feeling, and motivation. So they tend to enjoy self-reflection, analysis, including daydreaming, exploring relationship with others, and assessing their personal strength. So their characteristic, they will analyze their strength and weaknesses well. They enjoy analyzing theories and idea. They have excellent self-awareness and they understand the basis of uh, his or her own motivation and feeling. So you can see those people going for philosopher, writer, 
theorists are scientists. So that's the one thing to make sure that yes, in emotional intelligence, you want to be self-aware of your uh, own emotion. And the last one, the naturalistic intelligence. So naturalistic is the most recent recent uh, addition uh, to the theory. And um, yes, it's uh, people who are high in this type of intelligence are more in tune with the nature and are often interested in nurturing, exploring in the environment and learning about other species. So the characteristic, they are interested in subjects such as botany, biology, zoology, and categorize and catalog information easily. So you can see those people going for biologist, gardener, or farmer. So that's the eight type of intelligence that we can learn about. So yes, there's two in those eight that goes in the section of the emotional intelligence that we will cover further in the book. So just to give an idea that yes, there's more than just the three hours in school. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, uh, Marie-Pierre. And uh, just to finish, um, the final uh, thing is just to emphasize that the people that do well in life are the ones that master the interpersonal relationships because they are the people that can read other people, can understand their desires, their needs, and can guide them and listen. And also, if you have intrapersonal um, skills where you can control your own feelings, you can respond appropriately to different environments, that also is going to help you incredibly to advance. So I hope you're as excited as we are in uh, now we're starting to get into what is emotional intelligence. So that's it from us this morning. Goodbye.